Welcome back to Let Freedom Reign Podcast, the official equine industry podcast of Day 6 Ranch. I'm your host, Jason Swick, and on this show, we discuss leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship from topics and perspectives exclusive to the equine industry. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and explore our free content, other podcasts, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We thank you for joining us on this adventure. Hey everyone, and here we go with another episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We've had another incredible podcast opportunity be presented to us several weeks back. We were asked to co-host Come Ride the Journey Podcast with Chris Cox. Building out the show and getting the first few episodes launched has been pretty darn exciting, and we encourage you to follow the show through Chris Cox Horsemanship social media outlets and major podcast platforms. This week on the Freedom Rain Podcast, we host Dustin Leinenbach of Nexus Horsemanship. Although Dustin is relatively early in his horsemanship journey, this episode provided a lot of inspiration and explanation of challenges when taking that huge leap of faith while entering into the professional horsemanship space. To follow more of Dustin's journey, you can find him on social media under Nexus Horsemanship. That's N-E-X-U-S Horsemanship. And before we get rolling, I'd like to provide a little update on Day 6 Ranch. We're just a few weeks away from launching our one-on-one human optimization coaching program. This program is decades in the making and is highly customizable to suit your goals and needs in the pursuit of professional and personal accomplishments. Limited spots will be available, and to have first access at the coaching program, you can visit day6ranch.com Scroll to the bottom of our homepage and register for our newsletter, which we will use to announce our launch date. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Dustin Leinenbach of Nexus Horsemanship. Why don't we just start with pre-horses? I know horses came to you within the last few years, mm-hmm. and this is all relatively new, but let's talk about life pre-horse. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I grew up in uh, in Indiana. Uh, we we had horses when I was very little. My dad uh, was involved with some horses. He was also a uh, a biker. He he rode his motorcycle and he broke horses and did some like local barrel, barrel racing. Uh, but he passed away when I was very young, and we we got away from that lifestyle. We moved from the log cabin that we lived in into the into the city or into the slightly larger town and got away from the rural lifestyle. And so most of my childhood, I was, I was away from the, the farm life and, uh, always had an interest in horses. You know, I was curious about them. I would be excited to see them in parades and at the 4-H fair and, um, you know, the Clydesdales and the Super Bowl commercial, uh, is, yeah. is one of, that's one of the biggest reasons that I watch the Super Bowl is for the Clydesdales. I guess recently they, uh, the, the Budweiser commercial changed a little bit. I was a little disappointed. Uh, so always loved them, but never thought that it could be a career for me. I never uh, even assumed and it was never even crossed my mind as a, as an option. But then in my, uh, I, I went to school. I went to, uh, Indiana State University. I got my undergrad in automation and control engineering. I went off into uh, the world of machining. I uh, went and worked in Attica, Indiana at Harrison Steel Castings Company as a uh, um, process control engineer. Uh, and uh, at the time, I was married and uh, through some family-related things and had to leave that job, I went to uh, move closer to the it, – it's called the region and in, 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 excuse me. It's called the region in Indiana, uh, up near the, the Gary area. Like it's basically Chicago suburbs. Uh, I moved there with my, my wife at the time. Um, so that we could be closer to her family for family reasons. I never got another job in that particular career in the manufacturing world. Um, but I ended up getting a job at Comcast, the, the cable company as a technician. I just needed to pay my bills. In that time frame, we were uh, we were living with my mother-in-law. There were some moments where I just needed to get out of the house. You know, a freshly married couple. Understandable. Yeah, we needed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I needed to get out and, you know, kind of have my own life and do my own thing. And uh, so I, I, on a whim, I just looked up uh, boarding facilities in the area. I just wanted to muck stalls. Um, just be around horses. Didn't care what they needed me to do. So I found a place, uh, Shiloh Stables, there in near Hobart, Indiana. 
And uh, that's where I started to get my hands on some horses as an adult. Just uh, turning horses out, mucking stalls, feeding, helping prepare some of the horses for the, the children's lessons. And they gave me uh, a few. They let me ride around in the arena a little bit. And I was just bouncing all over the place. <laughs> just I, Along from for a, the ride. From a, yeah. I wish I could say that I was this like amazing uh, natural horseman who just it's in my blood and it just came to me so easily. But that certainly <laughs> was not the case. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any uh, of us have that story. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, that's it's really um, kind of relieving to hear, um, certainly listening to your podcast, learning to hear the upbringing of a lot of these uh, horsemen and horsewomen who who worked very hard to get where they are and had to hone their skills over a long period of time. It does, it doesn't come natural to anybody. And that, you know, gave me a lot of uh, extra confidence in that world. Yeah. Um, Heck yeah. Yeah. And so let's see. Uh, so yeah, I was just helping out at the, uh, at the facility there. Then, you know, through some trials and tribulations and lack of communication and, and a few other things, my, my wife and I, we ended up splitting up no harm, no foul. We're still, you know, <laughs> Uh, it was it was very mutual, and we're still uh, you know on on good terms. And so it's one of those things where if we got invited to the same wedding, they could certainly sit us at the same table. <laughs> I think that's a good example of you know where we're at right now. It's yeah. not like we're you know best friends, but we're we're on good terms. Yeah, so, it's not World War Three um, is not going to start. Right, exactly. Um, and so I, I feel good about that. But yeah, so I stayed with Comcast. I ended up uh, the cool thing about Comcast is they are all over the country. And so I transferred over the next uh, eight years. Um, I traveled with Comcast from I, – I started out in Homewood, Illinois, uh, and then it was Columbus, Indiana, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, like the Twin Cities area. Wow. So, yeah, um, o o over the last eight years um, or the, the eight years after – uh, essentially splitting up. I, I traveled around with Comcast and was able to build a career from that standpoint. I was a technician for four of those years. And then in Albuquerque, I got into the supply chain. I was able to use my my bachelor's degree and get into a, a leadership role there in the supply chain. And that's where I took promotions from there to go to Colorado Springs and Minnesota, all the way up into the managing the supply chain. The neat thing about living in all those states was I was able to find uh, horse facilities to go and volunteer at. So and it was a nice contrast from the corporate life that I was living. I was able to go and just, you know, get dirty, ride horses, just be around them. Like get, that's where I got energized. You know, you hear about debits and credits oh, yeah. in your life. Filling your life and, bucket. Right. hundred percent. And so, uh, you know, you you take those debits out emotionally or uh, mentally physically at work. Um, and th there were some fulfilling things at work too. I don't want to uh, throw it all under the bus, but you know, it, it wears you down. And then I get to go and be around the horses and it re-energizes me and gets me ready, you know, for the next week. But it was cool. I got to go and uh, volunteer for trail riding places, therapeutic riding, boarding facilities, and just be around horses in lots of different aspects. And there was no pressure to it. It was all volunteer. It was just, you know, it was just for fun. And then uh, I lost my job in uh, in 2020 with Comcast, and I, I think all I need to say is 2020. Yeah, there. <laughs> uh, Explain. <laughs> it, was a, it, it was a pretty <laughs> rough time frame. You know, it was in, right there in Minneapolis. There was we won't get into politics, but there was the George Floyd riots, and there was uh, COVID, and um, we were going through a lot of different um, changes in the in the supply chain facility, and I was responsible for laying out those changes, and it was a pretty. Let's say I had a lot of weight on top of me and uh, was not not feeling the best. And I was in that mindset where I was like, you know, pressure makes diamonds. I got to keep a positive attitude. And this is going to be a really great point in my career that's going to, you know, catapult me into higher things and just beat me down more and more. And I'm blessed to have moved on from that corporate lifestyle. <laughs> we'll say that. Heck yeah. At the time, I didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do, you know. That, that first day, the first person I called was my mom. <laughs> I said, hey, I <laughs> uh, just wanted to let you know I lost my job and um, I don't know what's going to happen here. But she was she gave me some motivating words and, and she was she's the type to just, you know, pull her bootstraps up and work. 
Um, I, I grew up, you know, she was, she was essentially, um, a single mom with eight kids. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, God bless seven her. Siblings, one brother and six sisters, and she took care of all of us. And there were men around, you know, quote, stepdads or whoever. And I never really, after my dad passed away, I didn't really have much of a direct father figure after that, but she was, uh, it is, um, she's now retired, but worked for many, many years in a factory night shift somehow had all the time in the world during the day to, uh, feed, <laughs> feed her kids and clothe her kids and, Good Lord. Um, you know, make sure we were taken care of. And, um, so all the credit in the world goes to her. And so absolutely now, now in this lifestyle or it, it, at this point in my life, I can recognize those strong women in my life and uh, I, I do my best to give them some kudos because it's not, it's not an easy job. All of us kids, while we all went into different paths and different careers in our lives, I'm sure it wasn't the easiest thing. It was one of those things where she would uh, just kick us all outside and uh, lock the door. Figure it <laughs> like, out. Go, yeah. Find, yeah. Go, go find something to do. Yeah, you talk about you filling your life bucket with horses. That's how she was trying to maintain. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, I'm sure it was fulfilling for her. You know, it's she has, I think, 20 grandkids now. Wow. And it's she's got a, she's blessed with a lot of a uh, lot of family around her. All of my family is still in Indiana. I have one sister in Michigan, but they're all in that general area. And so she gets to just kind of soak up all that work that she put in. Yeah, it's a return on investment. Of, yeah, exactly. A lot of great people around her. She gets to just be a grandma. Heck yeah! And you know, buy them all the loud toys and um, load them all up you know, on sugar and send them home. Yeah, one hundred percent. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, so, um, where were we, uh, horses? Yeah. So, uh, I think we're going to be getting back to horses often during this conversation. Yeah. Sometimes uh, we circle back to the horse. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I was able to get my, uh, my fulfillment from the horses and, but yeah, so, okay, here we go. So after, uh, I lost that job, you know, I called my mom and then I called my brother. He told me something that I've carried with me since then it it really washed away any of the fear or concern that i had about leaning forward into this into this mysterious journey that i was about to go on and that was you are your most important tool absolutely you there are plenty of people out there and plenty of opportunities you know you can have all the physical tools in the world or the you know the most stacked resume or no resume at all and you can still move forward in life as long as you invest in yourself and your own values and your flexibility and your ingenuity and your resilience. And, and, uh, I think that was an, a general statement, but it was really special that he said that, you know, to me about me, um, that I, he know, he, he gave me, uh, some motivation there, letting me know that I had, I had it in me to, yeah, it was good affirmation that you could do it Yeah, to succeed. And so, uh, I needed that in that moment, certainly. And so leaning on my family, at that time was uh, pretty well as a lifesaver, you know? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Really so let's, to have them. Yeah, let's talk about, I mean, you're kind of in the throes of huge career change that was forced upon <laughs> yeah. you, right? Huge lifestyle yeah. change that was forced upon mm-hmm. you. And Yeah. I mean, not to go down a rabbit hole, but there's different ways sure. that you take on voluntary and involuntary suffering. Mm-hmm. So how did you, or at what point did you decide that, that the horse was where you're going to make your investment. Certainly at the time, I didn't see the horse as, as being an investment in like a, in a very, you know, foundational concrete journey. I, I lost that job. I made it through the winter with my neighbor. We, uh, we took on a bunch of handyman work together we teamed up and, you know, trashed out houses and, you know, fixed drywall and just whatever we could do yeah. to make money. And then after the winter, um, I purchased a, uh, I took some of my 401k from my previous job and many people would say, absolutely do not do that. <laughs> you should hey, save sometimes that you gotta future. survive though. Yeah. And I invested in a, uh, in a camper van. I, I figure this is the time to do it, you know, while I'm still relatively young and, uh, it's something that I've wanted to do for myself and, and get my dog out there and, you know, just get out of the house and go. And so I rented my house out as an Airbnb through a third party company. And I just 
prepared for what I could. I had tools with me and I was set up to do some voiceover work and I just got in my van and drove essentially to Indiana to visit many of the family and friends that I had missed out on visiting as I was traveling around the country with my previous job. And I did handyman work for people and caught up and um, helped a guy out with uh, uh, fireworks during that, uh, that 4th of July and like just made a little money wherever I could. And along the way, uh, somebody who knew that I was involved with horses or that I liked being around them, I had volunteered with them, plenty of photos and videos on Facebook, sent me a link for a guy who uh, opened up a short uh, – it was a month-long internship. And uh, the internship was for – to be his support truck driver, the guy's name. <laughs> I think you and I know each other because of this fella. We met through him. His name's Patrick Sullivan. Yes, sir. And uh, he was riding his horses – um, as we know, from California to Kentucky, spreading the value of liberty. He was doing it on straight Egyptian Arabian horses and bridleless, uh, which is just, it still blows my mind um, to this day. Yeah, it was an incredible, it was an incredible feat. Yeah, certainly. And he's so humble and chill about it too. Um, he says he might not do it again um, <laughs> if, he, if he looks back. And uh, But I think most of that is because uh, of... Um, he wouldn't want to put the horse through that again. His horses did very well, and he took care of them throughout the entire trip. But um, I think he he would uh, he would invest in some some other things, and luckily that springboarded him into some really phenomenal things that he's doing um, at this point. Heck yeah! And so I'm I'm really excited to see how he and his uh, his new fiance are have grown in just the last couple of years since then. Yeah, but anyway, so somebody had sent me a link for that internship, and you know, I was flexible, obviously, and mobile, and I answered his questions in the email, and he gave me a call, and uh, we just chit chatted. I gave him uh, my background, and you know what the real simple, basic uh, experience that I had with horses, and I think he liked what I had to say, and he actually called me back um, on the 4th of July, uh, Liberty day, which was no uh, a perfect, for, perfect day to call me and let me know that he, uh, accepted me as his, his support truck driver. And so I finished up what I was doing there in Indiana and, uh, I drove straight to Kansas through, I met him in person in Kansas, uh, when I parked my van and, uh, threw my dog and luggage into his living quarters trailer. And, uh, we traveled for a month together. That is cool. It was the first couple weeks of that month. We stopped at uh, three rescues, the Hutchinson State Prison, and a summer camp that all have horse programs. And he put on clinics, and I helped him out where I could and took photos and drove truck. And it was a really uh, eye-opening experience to see how horses could be interacted with in such a patient and um, balanced way. That's something that... I hadn't seen a lot of in my in my time with horses. I've seen a lot of people who love their horses and approach them in lots of different ways, but in this way with no ropes, um, really, uh, it was the first time that I think a a technique or an approach really synced up with me, like that felt really right in my gut and in my my spirit, and uh, so that that sparked a little bit of an interest in it in in those moments, you know, seeing seeing it firsthand. You were exposed to it so intimately, right? Seeing it firsthand, and I mean, you were thrown right into into this liberty world. It wasn't like you had a couple clinics worth of exposure or had been watching some content. I mean, you went from not being involved in the horse world professionally to yeah. to basically that support role with somebody who is extremely, extremely talented in the liberty realm. So you see enough of it, you start to believe it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And I got to see it over and over again. That's the thing. Cause you go to a clinic or you, maybe you see, uh, an exhibition in a show and you're like, well, that's a great, that's a great trick they're doing there. Um, they were able to take care of those horses for, for two minutes and those horses behaved very well for them. Yeah. It all came but together. you don't know it, it came together, but you don't get to see the before and the after, um, of how, you know, how the rubber meets the road essentially Correct. you know like how the what is the what do they say how the butter is made or how yeah. the cream is made um <laughs> I, I don't know that term but um you don't get to see what's happening behind the scenes and there's plenty of virtue out there and um 
plenty of people doing really great things. And there are some situations that aren't always that way. And so I got to see Patrick day after day, horse after horse, person after person, repeat this process over and over and over again and saw positive results every single time. You know, sometimes with horses, it gets harder before it gets easier. Um, they have to work through things. They, you know, they get worked up before, before you have an opportunity to help relax them. Uh, but when you're consistent, as I saw with Patrick, and he was there in those moments to create an environment so that they could work through those things in a vulnerable way and, and learn to trust and come down from that and approach those things those scary moments courageously that even just stepping into you with a, with a shoulder can be a scary moment for a horse. Um, and I got to see that happen over and over again and see all these horses that were pent up by the end of those sessions, they were at least, you know, a percentage more confident or more relaxed or more willing. And that was really, really special to see just firsthand. I never thought that that could be a, a direct I, you know, talk about imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. I certainly, you know, when I met Patrick and riding on that trip along with him, you know, driving truck and helping out with those clinics, it, I was an imposter from then on up to this point where I'm talking to you. I certainly feel like an imposter on this podcast after seeing the, Heck no, the there's a reason you're here, right? that you've spoken to. Yeah, I, I suppose so, but... Um, I know so. Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Coming, coming from you and, you know, what I know about you, that, that really does mean a lot. And it's, uh, it's tough for that to sink in right now with me just being in year one. Yeah. The last two weeks of that month, uh, we just uh, got back to, his, uh, to the trip that he was taking. So we would, um, we would camp at night. We'd pull out the round pin panels and set the horses up for the evening. And we'd just hang out for the evening. And then uh, in the morning, we'd pack everything back up. He'd get one of his horses ready, and we'd drive out to where we left off the day before. We'd let out a horse. He'd hop on, and I would drive um, about 10 miles ahead, and I would uh, wait for him to ride up to me, and I'd have water and grain and snacks and whatever they needed. And he'd say, you know, I think we can go another five miles, or I think, you know, with the heat today, 10 miles is enough, or, you know, we would just incrementally go forward from there until he was ready to um, end for the evening or for the day. He always listened to the horses, which was a really cool thing to see day in and day out. At the end of that internship, at the end of those two weeks, we, we parted ways and I went off and did my own thing. And he went off and finished his trip and, uh, landed in Kentucky there and, uh, had a big celebration and, and then headed back to his, uh, his farm here in, um, in Collinsville to start his rescue program. One of the uh, cool things that he did after his trip was he reached out to all those rescues, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the horse rescues that he stopped at and visited and did clinics at. He reached out and said, send me videos of your most difficult horses, <laughs> which yeah. is still a crazy thing. But knowing Patrick, that's uh, exactly what he, he would do. He says, you know, send me your most difficult horses. Uh, and I think 13 were submitted and, uh, he took in seven at his place. It was six horses and a mule. And then, um, the other, the remaining horses, he found other trainers to work, which is a, a, again, another cool thing about Patrick. He made sure that every one of those horses that was submitted was taken care of in one way or another. Um, he, I mean, he couldn't turn them down. He's, he's kind of a yes guy in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he <laughs> um, loves the horse. That's for darn sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, he uh, opened up another internship for this rescue program that he had going on. And um, absolutely, after, after knowing him and the, and the experience that we had, I thought, you know, I might have a chance at this. So I reached out to him again, answered his email, <laughs> and he liked what I had to say. And so he, he took me um, and one other intern in um, for that rescue program. And that's where I really, my boots hit the ground in terms of like l learning directly, really training to learn how to to manage a horse in that way and like we got down into the into the details of how all of this works and the energy that it takes and you know the flow and the reading horses and and everything um obviously keeping yourself safe around these otherwise really dangerous horses <laughs> yeah they're pretty um, feral or at least yeah, that bunch yeah. was 
that, that it certainly was. And again, talk about imposter syndrome. I thought you had to just grow up in the horse world or you had to go to school for this or something. And somehow I like fell face first into it, like accidentally almost. <laughs> yeah, you got an incredible uh, education very quickly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I am absolutely blessed and that's something that I, you know, I, I owe it to all of those horses as well as to Patrick and Avery and everybody up to this point who has supported me and saw some kind of potential in me to allow me into that space to, to receive that type of training, um, that type of experience. It, it was an absolute blessing. Yeah. So let's talk about, I want to talk about Declan. Oh yeah. So introduce Declan to the following and, and let's talk about Declan's story and your, really your guys' journey together. Sure. Sure. So Jumping back to the the trip that we were on, you know, for that month that I was with Patrick on his ride, uh, we stopped at a place called T&D Donkey Rescue, uh, and that's where he put on um, a, a clinic for a few days, and and we got to meet all the donkeys and mules there, and she had some horses there as well. And she had Patrick um, hop into the pen with uh, one of their horses that was um, real difficult to real difficult to handle, just totally afraid of human beings. Couldn't touch him. He was, he was one of those horses where a lot of the volunteers, they loved him. They saw potential in him, including Deanna, the owner of TND. They all saw something in him, but they just could not get close to him just from a physical standpoint. They couldn't touch him. Patrick jumped in there uh, into his pen and uh, did some Liberty. Some, you know, he had a, a patient approach and controlled the direction and, and worked on him a little bit, helped him relax. Um, I didn't, he was just another anonymous horse to me, uh, one of the many that we ran into on that trip. And then uh, once I got to the internship, uh, Patrick told me that I would have one specific horse. I would be working with multiple horses, but there was one specific horse that would be my personal project for those few months. And uh, that horse came from TND Donkey Rescue. And it ended up being. Uh, Declan, the horse that he had worked with just there for a brief moment. And I was there just to take pictures and videos while he was doing that, but I didn't have a connection with Declan at that time. And then, uh, they delivered him to, to Collinsville. We let him out into his, his round pen where he would live until he was halterable. That's where I, I started my journey with Declan. Um, just as a project horse, I, all of these horses, um, and the mule, were intended to be trained, you know, turned into model citizens and then uh, auctioned off or or purchased so that those like the profits from those sales could go on to the rescues that they came from. And uh, <clears throat> so I started working with Declan. Uh, I was blown away when I finally was able to get him haltered. It was one of those jaw dropping moments for me. And I stopped and I turned around and looked at Patrick and Avery and they were like, yep, he's haltered now. I did it. <laughs> like, I did it. It's, it's something. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they've been through this many, many times. And I turned around, I had glee on my face and just like shock that he let me halter him. This is phenomenal. Um, and that was, you know, maybe week, week one or so week one or two moved him to, uh, another round pen where I would continue to work with him you know, uh, help relax him and bring his confidence up to the point where I could, um, I could rub him down and pick up his feet, um, uh, and, uh, and lead him around and, you know, disengage the hips. And we started going through that whole process. And then we had a, a beautiful day where we were able to turn him out with the herd of the re rescue horses out into the pasture. And it was like, me sending off my little duckling uh, into the world um, so that he could fly with his friends, you know. Um, it was a really cool feeling knowing that because of the work that we put into it and the patience and the time and, and the effort, now I can go out to the pasture and halter him um, and lead him in and work with him uh, more, uh, more intently, more regularly. Just seeing him come along like that was, was phenomenal. And the cool thing about all of this was he and I were both learning Liberty at the same time. I'd say the cool thing and also the challenging thing <laughs> of all of it. And oftentimes, uh, frustrating and, uh, tiring and, uh, never angering, but like 
close to that point where I'm like, why won't this work? You know, and then Patrick would jump in and uh, it would work perfectly for him just because he, he had the rhythm down. He had he had that touch. Right. But it was just it was such a cool feeling to see this horse grow from being totally afraid of human beings to the point where before they sent him to us, he kicked out and he broke somebody's leg. One of the volunteers there um, at TND and uh, I was able to get him to the point where he trusted me to climb on his back and take my first ride on him bridleless. It was one of those things where Patrick said, you're going to earn your reins before you can uh, ride this horse with horse with reins. You need to be able to ride him um, bridleless. You need to be able to con- um, take cues from your legs and your body. And you need to trust him to move forward and stop when, uh, when you ask him to with your energy and your body. And you'll be able to lead him over obstacles that way, um, on his back as well as um, on the ground, lead him over obstacles at liberty. Then we can start to incorporate um, you know, halter and reins and, and move forward from there. So about a month in, month, month and a half, I started to think, what would it be like when someone comes to adopt this horse? When someone comes to check this horse out to purchase it, like what is that experience going to be like? And we had so many people online who are following, you know, on Facebook, the Facebook lives, we would have team D and D on Fridays where Patrick would uh, throw us curveballs. I wanted to just be like a surprise um, activity where I didn't know what to expect. And Patrick would say, all right, today we're going to work on, you know, yielding the hindquarters or we're going to work on sending him out or work on the draw or whatever it is. And so we, people could see the connection between, myself and Declan and see us both grow together. And it just became real obvious that I think I'm going to need to, to adopt this horse. As long as, you know, Patrick and Avery and these guys, they think that I'm, they think that I'm ready to adopt him. And, uh, I talked to Deanna from TND and she, you know, teared up and she said, you know, we've been praying for this for months and months. And, uh, we're really, we're so glad that, he's going to move forward with you because we couldn't see him with anybody else. And so he's been my horse. He's been part of my little, my little team, my little herd for uh, the last um, almost a full year here um, since mid May of last year. And it's what April. Yeah. Since then I've used him for many Liberty lessons. I've used him for uh, some riding lessons. His most uh, consistent student right now is a a young girl named um, Ariana who, um, has fallen in love with him and he's fallen in love with her. It's like frustratingly adorable. The fact that he like, (laughs) (laughs) he relaxes, uh, and becomes this like puppy dog for her. And he's with me. He's, he works with me and he's, uh, he's compliant and he's relaxed and all that. But like, he's a different horse when he's with this little girl. He like, he just melts around her. Um, so I, I've worked it out so that, She'll get to spend quite a bit more time with her, just even outside of just the lessons. It's a heart horse and heart person situation here between these two. Yeah. Yeah. So Ariana and Declan have just fallen in love. And I think it's it's um, only appropriate to make sure that they have all the opportunities in the world to to spend time together. I, you know, as soft and patient and loving as I can be. I just cannot bring the energy that a little girl can, <laughs> an 11 year old girl. Um, I could try, I could try very hard, but it just won't work out. So I'm going to come to Declan as myself and give him everything that I can. But he, every horse, and I, I truly believe this, every single horse needs a little girl in their life. Yeah. Um, that I think is the, the epitome of the person, the type of person that works well with the horse. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. It's just, it's the, it's the strongest connection that I've, that I've seen. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, uh, Declan going from this life where, um, he was found at a, a, an auction in Texas, uh, sent or taken to, uh, a facility in, in Missouri where he was, um, adopted, to the TND donkey rescue. They saved his life. They saved his life, kept him for two years. Didn't really know what to do with him, how to manage him. 
Um, he needed someone. They saw potential in him. He was submitted to Patrick's program. We introduced Liberty to him. He he introduced Liberty to me, and uh, we grew together. Now he's got an 11-year-old girl riding on his back and is just happy as can be. That is cool. And so it's a, it's a really, really neat story. Just a year later, um, and that's it's special for me to spend time with him, of course, but it's extra special to see him interact with other people. I think he's he's certainly more renowned or more well-known than I am. <laughs> there, there are people I've never met, um, but they followed Declan's story on Facebook, and they knew that I was there. <laughs> they yeah, knew that I yeah. was present and involved. Human. But like, yeah, that's I've actually heard those exact words before. That's Declan's dad, you know. That's, <laughs> that's Declan's human. Uh, and then they get to know me because because uh, they follow Declan and and he's a unique horse too, man. He yeah. um, he's only I think he's fourteen three, so he's uh, in terms of the average horse, I think he's a little bit shorter. Uh, but uh, he has Galasino, Garano, and Halflinger as his breeds. Um, Galasino and Garano, everybody pretty well knows Halflinger, but Galasino and Garano are two uh, pony breeds that were used in Spain and Mexico, I believe. Uh, and they were, or Spain and Portugal, uh, but they uh, were used for like light farm work. And uh, the Portugal one, I think it's Galasino, is um, at this point is an endangered breed. Oh, really? <clears throat> so he's That's got some endangered blood in him. And like, he's such a unique looking horse. He's got this like bulky Mustang look, but he has, he has feathered legs and yeah. he has a double mane yeah. and he's just handsome as heck. Uh, so I just, looking back, I, I never could have imagined that he would be a part of my life. And here, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an incredible journey and not to downplay anything Dustin's saying as far as some of the early victories, just petting on the horse and getting his feet picked up and getting him haltered. This was a domestic horse, but he was about as feral as they get. He was absolutely terrified of human beings. The first couple of times I went up there and watched, watched them all work. So it has been incredible to see the journey where we go from a horse that would valiantly flee from human contact to now riding, riding with an 11 year old girl and loving every minute of it. Yeah. It's really, really special to see. So let's transition wow. now to the goals yeah. of D&D horsemanship and what the future kind of holds mm -hmm. for you and Declan and some of your hopes and dreams and pursuits as yeah. the business grows and as, as you both evolve. Well, you know, um, I started out the name D&D um, &D for Declan and Dustin, obviously, and uh, have used uh, Declan and I have teamed up. I've, I've been able to get people in there. He's the perfect horse, one of the perfect horses to – to teach someone liberty, to teach someone how to manage their space around a horse who might be a little bit, um, a little bit pushier. So he he went from being totally afraid of human beings to wanting to be glued to whoever is working with him, like on top of you. And uh, when if you're let's say leading him around and you stop uh, for the adults, it's it's funny how he he does this differently between adults and kids. If if there's a kid in there. He'll stop and he'll stop softly and give them space and he'll work around them. But if there's an adult in there, he will challenge them in the sense that he will bump his shoulder into them That's until funny. he nearly knocks them off their balance. <laughs> That's funny. And so it's a good, safe, um, direct opportunity to teach them how to manage their space around the horse, um, to really push that shoulder out and to, uh, to be very intentional about, uh, about your cues and about your own space and your energy. Yeah. And he'll follow through, but he'll, he'll certainly challenge it. Just wants to make sure um, you're good at what you do. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna, he's gonna make sure you're the real deal in there. Uh, um, and so stuff. I, I can go into these training sessions just confidently knowing that he's going to take care of that person. He's going to challenge them, but he's going to take care of them. Um, so, um, he actually was, so my very first official Liberty student named Wendy, we met just as I was about to finish up my internship here in Texas. Declan's first official Liberty student was Wendy, and she was my first Liberty student. And so like they've been um, teaming up with each other in those sessions there at the end of uh, at the end of my internship. And then I went and volunteered for T&D that I came back to Texas um, and that 
the transition back to Texas was where it started to get a little bit rough. We can get in, we can get into some of that stuff, but so yeah, since I came back to Texas, she's been able to visit him a couple times. Uh, but I'm going to have him transferred over to the side of town that we are both on. I made sure it was okay with Ariana and her family for me to transfer him a little farther away and they would still come and, and take lessons and visit. Yeah. So D and D horsemanship was in that light. Um, Declan and I sharing Liberty, really showing the value of this approach and what it can do for both horses and people. And in the last year, I wanted to adjust that name. I wanted to go and make it a little more universal, a little more enveloping for the entire, the entire feel or the entire approach or the goal of what we're trying to do with this Liberty stuff, with just the horsemanship in general. And uh, I guess this is the first time I will have spoken about this publicly, but I'm shifting the name from D&D Horsemanship to Nexus Horsemanship. Um, I've shifted my socials over, my Facebook and my Instagram and, and all of that, and uh, I'm going to formalize it as an LLC and you know, get my uh, commercial liability insurance and really create a, a foundation for this so that I can move it on into, um, into the future of, of what it will become. And, uh, <clears throat> so the reason that I landed on the word nexus, um, a nexus is a, a crossing of two paths that, um, that come together in, in a point. It's, it's like when, when, two beings come together and create synergy, you have a nexus point. Um, and that's just maybe one point or a number of points in a pathway on a journey to create a flow. And, you know, that's, <clears throat> that's exactly what we're doing with these horses. Um, my goal every time I work with a horse is to get on the same page, create a connection, um, create balance, create harmony, create synergy <laughs> really work together. I, I want to I want to create connections, whether it's between me and a horse uh, or an owner and their own horse or between all of these horsemen and horsewomen who are excited and, uh, and eager to learn and grow in their own horsemanship. I want to create connections between them. I want to create horses that are going back out of the herd more relaxed, more, but more confident. Some of those horses that might not have stuck up for themselves otherwise can go back out into the herd and maybe feel a little more confident and and hold their own out in uh, out in that crowd. That's a long shot because herd dynamics are very specific to the horses. We can't cre influence that a lot, but I can tell you that um, I've been at a lot of different facilities, a lot of different ranches. And rescues, and I can tell you the herd dynamics are significantly different depending on the facility and how those horses are managed. Yeah. And the example that I have that I'm, I'm sure you've seen is at Patrick's place. You go out into the pastures there, and it's borderline serene. I mean, if you go into the gelding pasture with with treats, you're it's going to be a shark attack. <laughs> but like. You can literally go out into any pasture unless a horse is absolutely like just showed up feral. All of those horses are willing to let you walk up to them. They certainly get rowdy and they chase each other around and they play and they have their herd dynamics, but it's not there. They have a different mentality. All of these Liberty horses out in their path, they're more relaxed. They're more trusting. They're just more willing. And uh, if you can have that approach, at a facility with most of your horses, I think that really, I think it changes the dynamic. Yeah. I mean, would you agree with that? No, I think so. That that was my first experience walking out into Patrick's pastures is that I've never seen so many horses so interested in a human being. Mm -hmm. When you have a, a singular human being walking into, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 horses, usually they all band yeah. up, right? And they do their own thing. Mm -hmm. And you might catch an outlier here and there. Yeah, but you walk out into Patrick's pastures, and the whole party comes and greets you, and they're mm -hmm. kind and they're respectful about it, and it's a, it's a feeling of inquisition rather than interest or dominance, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. So yeah. It, it definitely, I agree that herd dynamics are unique to the herd and the facility and the environment and the culture within that herd. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have absolute influence in it, but I do think the relationship and what you build in the horse in the round pen at Liberty does carry out into the pasture once they, once they are reintegrated into a herd dynamic and, and probably does have some influence. Yeah. It's cool to see that number one. Heck yeah. And, yeah. And so with this, uh, I, w- I wanted to, since I'm, I'm in year one, I'm just in the beginning of building this. I wanted to have a name that was universal enough. That sparked a little bit of curiosity. Um, that was modern enough. Um, obviously, Modern day horsemanship is the perfect name. So I, that's already taken, unfortunately. I think there's a guy that has that already, <laughs> <I> t- right? <laughs> right. I told Patrick, maybe I should name mine like moderner day Moderner horsemanship or more, <laughs> yeah, more modern day horsemanship or uh, Declan Unbridled. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, but D&D horsemanship is there and there's a story there. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's bigger than myself and Declan. And Declan would agree. <laughs> yeah, you guys <laughs> are definitely the, the incipient experience, but there's so yeah, much more absolutely. to serve through Nexus Horsemanship. There, there, really, there really is. And, and so um, I, I, I want to create an infinite amount of those Nexus points. You know that moment, that feeling that you get when the horse finally steps into you? Yeah. Or when the horse finally commits. yields to pressure or commits or lowers their head those to me are nexus points. Yeah. So I'm going to play with that. I'm going to roll with that. Uh, I am the type that I prepare up to a certain percentage, let's say 70%. And then that other 30%, I'm just crazy enough to lean forward into it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. And so this is my moment of letting it fly. I'm I'm switching over to nexus and I'm going to roll forward with that. We're going to see where it goes. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. And so, Going into uh, the next year, uh, I'm working at a couple of private ranches, and unfortunately, I don't feel it's not appropriate for me to record these training sessions with these private horses and post them online. So that kind of sets me back in a sense of like marketing what I'm doing, yeah. like the bulk of what I'm doing. Um, and so, um, but I have uh, I have a couple of ranches I'm I'm working with some Arabians, some Andalusians. Um, working with a, a boarding facility that also does some training there. I have been able, I mean, the plethora of breeds of horses that I've worked with is mind blowing over, over the last year, just from feral, totally untouchable, um, I don't know, paint horses and Frisians and, um, Norwegian fjords. And like I said, Andalusians, the straight Egyptian Arabians, um, from Colts all the way up to the, the older horses, um, halter training uh i don't know how or why i'm in this space where i have this like amount of opportunity in front of me to spend time with these horses but it's there and i'm i'm gonna keep (laughs) i'm gonna keep soaking it in but yeah so i think what i'd really like to focus on after the last year i want to focus very heavily on those people who want to rebuild their connection with their horse that's one of the pieces or maybe they've got a new horse and they want to grow a connection with them. And maybe the horse isn't ready for the human or the human isn't ready for the horse. I can work with both of them and get them ready for each other. And then eventually create another nexus point <laughs> and bring them together so that they can continue their journey on, you know, hand in hand or uh, hoof in hand, if you will. Perfect. Uh, and they can grow together with, with liberty, with um, more patient horsemanship. Um, balanced horsemanship, we'll say, because there are things that you don't allow, you know, kicking, biting, striking, rearing, running you over. You have to be firm in those, in those moments, but you give them the freedom to work through things and come back to you and make it their choice to work with you. And you're going to get so much farther along with them. Yeah. And that's the great thing about the Liberty training is that Yes, there are boundaries, and I tell people with their horses, I mean, love has its boundaries. You sit there and love on a horse, it becomes a spoiled horse without boundaries, and a spoiled horse <laughs> yeah. without boundaries becomes a dangerous uh-huh. horse. You're, I, yeah, we ran into a couple of those um, on our trip um, our, when, when Patrick was working with some of those rescues. You know, one particular horse grew up at that rescue, was born, and like they, uh, they adopted or rescued the mare that was in full. 
Yeah. And that baby horse was just the most adorable horse in the world and got all the lovins and it was adorable when that horse would be in your space. But, you know, when they turn into a thousand pounds, it's a different It's a different game. Correct. Correct. And I think that's the, the profound thing with Liberty is that you just, you give that horse free will to make the decision on commitment because when you remove all those yeah. ropes and those leads and things of that sort, you really right. see what your relationship is and you really see how well your training is stuck because there are times when you need ropes and leads to help help progress a horse along, but you really want to see where both of you guys are at, get rid of all that stuff. And, and it's it's pretty dang cool. I see it as a great great challenge or a good affirmation if hey, my training methods and theories and approach and the relationship, yeah, we're on the right track or maybe there's some things that I need to revisit and patch up. Mm-hmm. Yep. It really it really does tell the truth. And the real uh, the real test is when you can take that horse. Like I was excited when Declan would hang out with me and he, was, he would be able to work with me and do all these activities and obstacles and stuff. But the real test was him trusting another person yeah. based on the work that we had done. Yeah. And that was just, again, mind-blowing um, to see – him finally warming up to other people and now anybody who comes up to see him he's like he's all about it you know that's so cool so so cool yeah for sure so it's incredible to see the foundation of your horsemanship progress to D horsemanship and now evolve to nexus horsemanship but i would like to just take a few moments and have you elaborate because this has not been an easy journey you've compressed a lot of life experience into a relatively short amount of time. So are there some of those transformational journeys or some of those bumps in the roads that you would like to share that you've experienced in your first year that you think would, would help others maybe in your shoes? Yeah, I'd say, you know, as blessed as I've been for having like fallen into this opportunity for me to pick up that ball and carry it forward, you know, there's some ownership that takes place in that. Um, so I went off and, uh, after my internship in mid May of last year, um, went and volunteered at uh, TND donkey rescue there. And <laughs> I think when it finally hit me, the reality of all of this was when I was, uh, in Missouri, um, doing Liberty training at like 2 PM in summer heat and humidity. <laughs> um, welcome to the horse it, world. Yeah. Welcome to the horse world. I mean, Patrick had certainly, made it very clear that it's not a walk in the park. Um, but it finally really officially hit me <laughs> in, in those moments. Um, it wears you down while, while I was, I was pretty beaten up there. I still had that spark inside me to continue moving forward. Um, after I left TND, um, I was on my way back to Texas and ended up, uh, somewhere along the way I picked up, uh, COVID. And so, Obviously, I didn't have a place in Texas uh, to stay yet. I had a friend who was going to let me stay in there, you know, a guest bedroom for a while until I got my feet under me here. Um, but I wasn't able to meet up with them based on uh, having COVID. I had to wait until I was completely clear until I interacted with anybody. So when I got to Texas, I got a hotel room and I just sweated it out. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Uh, I, Literally and figuratively, man, that's the first and only time that I've had COVID. And man, the worst part, I think, was the back pain that rose and lowered in my back. It like rolled through (laughs) through my back uh, top to bottom. And uh, I just I I sweated it out in that hotel room. And that, of course, you know, dwindled away on the finances that I had available to to hold me over my buffer zone my, my net to get me going here. Um, I couldn't meet up with any of those people that, you know, I was planning on starting to work with horse wise. Um, it was, it wore away on me physically and mentally there. That was pretty tough. But, um, another blessing that happened was that same, uh, student, uh, Wendy, uh, I spoke with her she was of course, Declan's first student, my first student, I spoke with her and she wanted to continue training with me. She wanted to get back into that rhythm now that I'm back in Texas. And uh, she actually took the initiative, got online, and found some uh, uh, some people who were interested in letting us use their horse so that I could teach her as kind of a train-the-trainer type situation. And she would pay me and everybody wins. Oh, that's Free horse cool. training. Yeah. She learns. I get experience 
continuing to train someone and uh, and I, I can at least you know start to pay my bills. And so she, I give a lot of credit to her to for like starting to get me moving there. Um, and uh, I worked out a deal with uh, a boarding facility over in Farmersville, and that got me through the winter. But winter hit pretty hard. Things really slowed down in terms of the the lessons that I had there and the drive over and. It just financially, it just wasn't a, a wise decision to continue, um, to continue on with them. And, uh, <laughs> I, right there in December, I had some significant maintenance on my, on my van. Um, the, the brakes and, uh, the rotors and all, all that stuff needed to be replaced. It was pretty rough. And that, you know, dwindled me back even further. And, uh, it was, it was a pretty rough situation going into, uh, Going into the spring, um, I was feeling pretty low, hit literally hard times, like zero money in the bank account <laughs> and thinking, how am I going to do this? Do I need to, you know, dust off my resume and get back into the corporate world? Like I had some moments there where it was really close, Yeah. What? but there's a part of me that said, this is my path. This is my, there's a term ikigai. It's a Japanese term. It's a combination of four things, uh, what you love doing, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. Horse training is my ikigai. It's my purpose. And if I go back into a full-time job in the corporate world or manufacturing or whatever, I'm letting that mission down. I would be, I would forever regret that decision. That's a mature stance to take. And... That taking that stance in the face of not knowing what is ahead of you and knowing that your resources are slim, um, I'm I'm blessed to have had some angels in my life who have who helped me out through those those time periods and as far as a place to stay and some extra cash and extra jobs and just ranch labor and whatever. Um, that I mean, this first year, I, I'll tell you this: I've never had a bad day because of a horse. <laughs> uh, but That's when it awesome. comes to the business around all of this and, uh, and the relationships, whether positive or not so positive, or, you know, the finances or building a business, there's a lot more to it than just getting into the round pin. Yeah. If I had all the money in the world, I would do two things. I would just train horses all day long. And in my off time, I would go and volunteer as a handyman for like single moms and elderly and, you know, <laughs> physically handicapped. That's I would cool. go fix, fix door handles and faucets yeah. and replace lights and all that. Like if I had all the money in the world, I would do those two things. Yeah. That would be my life. Uh, but awesome. I, and I just don't have all the money in the world. And so I got to figure this out, right? Absolutely. So go, going into uh, the, um, the spring here or into the summer, um, I'm actually – signed up as being um, a substitute teacher. It's actually a guest educator, they call it these days. It's a flexible job where I can get benefits. And I I mean, it's if I need work, I can just hop on, choose a day and go and jump into a classroom where they need me. They're in desperate need of help and they are in desperate need of positive role models. Cool. And I think I'm a, I'm an okay positive male role model. <laughs> um, I mean, Declan would say so. And yeah, I think Declan would say so. And I, I love, I, like I said, 20 nieces and nephews. And I have, like, all, I love the teaching in terms of the horsemanship, whether it's adults or kids. And just, it's, it fulfills me. Talk about credits and debits. Yeah. That's a credit awesome. uh, for sure. Things are looking up. Uh, I, I did put a, <laughs> so that I could take on some of my, my debt. I asked for some help from my community. I reached out. And put a GoFundMe up, and uh, I've been blessed with some people that have contributed to that. And so if I can cover some of that stuff, I can continue to grow this business. And like I said, invest in that commercial liability insurance and invest in the LLC. And luckily with Liberty Work, it doesn't take a lot of tack. Yeah, <laughs> so that's true. I'm, I'm set up there. That's good. Um, but for me to travel and to go do clinics, I've got um, a couple of clinics or workshops set up in Arizona for the summer. I think I've got something set up here at, uh, south of Dallas. I'm going to go help uh, somebody who had recently moved down there with her horse. And I have a lot of, of things ahead of me. I just want to, to catch up on some of the financial stuff. That's probably been one of the hardest things. Yeah, it's hard to get ahead sometimes. But That's coming out of this first year, 
the ex- the experience of coming out of this first year i saw some things you know at least two horses be euthanized and that's not the easiest thing to see um and you see but a wide a range of how people handle horses yeah, yeah. and yeah. i working with patrick and um and then later on on my own i got to go out and see the scottsdale arabian show and help out a group oh, yeah. called beats out there and that's a positive you know that's a credit yeah. um that offset a lot of those debits and I'm motivated and I'm excited for the future with all of this. Cause I think there, are, I know there are a lot of people and a lot of humans that I'm in a position to really, to really help out. I've offered it many times in my coaching programs. When I discuss it with clients, is that crazy things happen when you stay in the fight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're 100%. not winning. Sometimes, sometimes the opponent is just ramming it down our throat, right? We're getting punched in the nose time and time and mm-hmm. time and time after. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're the one delivering those blows, but yeah. in all reality, if you just stay on your toes and stay in the fight, mm-hmm. crazy things happen. And it's incredible yep. to see the resilience that's starting to develop in you, not only as a horseman, but as a, as a businessman. And the growth and the return on investment will be exponential from here on out. Well, like I said, that that really does mean a lot coming from you. And I'm excited to see where this future goes. And um, for you to see some of these, uh, some of these horses grow into, uh, as a result of, uh, my spending time with them. It's dang cool to watch. So let's explain to folks how they can get a hold of you and, sure. uh, all your Nexus horsemanship, social media, or the different outlets in which you're available. You can find me, uh, more, uh, more regularly, more reliably on Facebook. If you just look up Nexus horsemanship, N-E-X-U-S horsemanship you'll find my facebook page um you can certainly reach out to me um on there through a message or um you can find my contact information there give me a call give give me a text message um we can schedule uh, a time for me to come out and see your horse um here if you're in like the north dallas area uh, i'm more so on the uh the east side in the uh the pilot point aubrey gainesville area Uh, but i can I can drive as much as an hour away if I need to. I have also done some remote or virtual sessions with some people. If you're if you're comfortable with your horse and you feel like you can be safe uh, with them, I can. If you set up a phone outside of your round pin and throw in some Bluetooth earbuds, um, I can watch the session as if I am there sitting on the rail. And uh, I can walk you through sessions as well. I, I have a client actually in California we do that with. And, um, she, she loves it. Um, she's been working with her Mustang and it's cool to see them grow. So, uh, as uh, going into the next few years, I would like to put together some more, some more workshops. I like them to be a little bit more informal. Um, I just horse people hanging out and learning about horsemanship. That's my main goal when I put on a clinic or when I put on a, uh, on a workshop. So, but yeah, you can find me through Facebook or, or Instagram. As we wrap every show, we like to share some life advice. So the question I pose to you is, uh, Mm -hmm. if you were to give your younger self or yourself in a previous season of life some advice, what advice would you share? Man, you know, I've heard this question so many times on your podcast. (laughs) And I thought I had a great answer. Very common Um, response that I've gotten from many guests. I Uh knew this was coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've listened to your podcast, mucking many a stall, mucking many a paddock, uh, <laughs> uh, which is perfect. But um, man, oh man, hmm. that's a a great question. I would say, as far as what I've learned and what I, the value system that I've built since my younger self, my younger self went through some some tough situations. I got ran over as a kid, had to relearn how to walk. Um, we, we didn't have the easiest lifestyle. Um, it wasn't, you know, the most uh, affluent lifestyle, uh, but I had a roof over my head. I had food. I had really everything I really needed, but I didn't have confidence for much of my life. There was some depression and anxiety that went along with that. Um and I would say there are four things that make a person successful or bring them confidence, give them the, the tools they need to gain the experience 
that they need. I had enough experience to have met Patrick and, and to be approved for these internships because of some of the things that I picked up along the way. And that those four things are adaptability, curiosity, ownership, and mindfulness. If you can have those four things, if you can invest time and research and reading and energy into learning about those things and putting them in, into play in your life, then I think I, I would tell that to my younger self. Think about those four, few things every single day, those four things, and make sure that you're accounting for each one of those every single day. Uh, that would – I wouldn't change anything between my younger self and now because I am who I am and um, it's the path that I took. But um, – I would be curious to see where that young Dustin would have ended up by the age of, you know, 37, 38 years old had he focused on those four things, adaptability, curiosity, ownership, and mindfulness. Great, great advice. Great way to close out the show. And Dustin, we're excited not only for you, but the new venture at Nexus Horsemanship. And if there's anything that we can do at Let Freedom Rain Podcast to help support your venture, then do not hesitate to reach out. And we Thank you dearly for setting some time aside and sharing with us here on the show. Yeah, man. The most important thing that you can do is to continue doing what you are doing and promoting these awesome horsemen and horsewomen and continuing to push positive horsemanship and putting the horse first because that puts a lot more people out there in, the, yeah. in the world to come and work with I me. I love it. I love it. Great affirmation. I appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks again for joining us here on Let Freedom Reign podcast. If you're looking to grow in the areas of leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship, please visit day6ranch.com to see all we have to offer in the form of free content, podcasts, and material related to building a legacy-worthy lifestyle.